Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, John, it's your turn. What did you pick? I picked a story by Carolyn M. Joachim called Welcome to the Medical Clinic at the Interplanetary Relay Station. Hours since last patient death, zero. What a title. Can't imagine I'm going to have all of that in the title yeah. when I post it. but <laughs> That's fine. A. You take a shortcut through the hydroponics bay on your way to work and notice that the tomato plants are covered in tiny crawling insects that look like miniature beetles. One of the insects skitters up your leg, so you reach down and brush it off. It bites your hand. The area around the bite turns purple and swollen. You run down a long metal hallway to the medical clinic, grateful for the artificially generated gravity that defies the laws of physics and yet is surprisingly common in fictional space stations. The sign on the clinic door says, hours since the last patient death. The number currently posted on the sign is zero. If you enter the clinic anyway, go to C. If you seek medical care elsewhere, go to B. B. You are in a relay station in orbit halfway between Saturn and Uranus. There is no other medical care available. Proceed to C. Why are you still reading this? You're supposed to go to C. Are you sure you won't go into the clinic? No? Fine. You return to your quarters and search the station's database to find a cure for the raised purple scabs that are now spreading up your arm. Most of the database entries recommend amputation. The rash looks pretty serious, and you probably ought to go to C, but if you absolutely refuse to go to the clinic, go to Z and die a horrible, painful death. I'm also going to read Z. Z. You die a horrible, painful death, but at least you won't have to deal with your insurance company. I like this story. It obviously reads like those choose your own adventure novels, which for me, I was introduced to through Goosebumps. <laughs> I don't know how else everyone else. There was uh, a whole series of them in the yeah. 80s. I remember reading. Okay. They always had a, like white uh, covers with certain style of pictures I can still do, but there was a ton of them and yeah. all different kinds of things. Yeah. I feel like it lends itself in some way to like the horror genre where you want to be able to like, you know, kind of pick like, oh, God, what do you do now? Oh, God. That's not how I remember them at all. Goosebumps were all horror books. So it was always like. I mean, it makes sense. It's one way to do it. But my memory is just like they're just random adventures. Okay, yeah. Do you want to explore the cave? Do you want to go in the forest? You know, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I'll amend it then. Like, there's something about not knowing what's going to happen, but feeling like you have a choice to make. And like, you always had to be kind of bold. I, I feel like, especially in the Goosebumps stories, you had to like boldly choose the explore the cave option instead of turn around. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? Yeah. Or like, or like, it was it was almost like against all your better judgment if you knew you wanted like the story to continue. Like they felt scary that way. It's like you had to press on. But for this one, it's funny because they're mimicking that format, but they're breaking like this wall, right? And they're talking directly to the reader. So we got to hear that one part that you read that's like, what are you doing? Why are you reading this section? <laughs> You're supposed to be over here. And then for you to jump to Z is like the inkling that you have with those original chapter books. But here, like I just read it straight through. Did you read it straight through? Or did you jump? Oh. Oh, of course, I, for this particular one, I don't think there's any other way to do it. Well, you could, but I think it's written to be read straight through. Right. Because there's not much of a choice, and she, she calls attention to that several times. Yeah, she starts to. But it starts off like, oh, I could pick and choose, pick and choose. Uh, so what did you like about it, though? Well, as far as like why to bring it to the podcast, I like yeah. that it plays with form. You know, this uh-huh. choose your own adventure. We've talked about that. And it's kind of like right. a 
Every time a second person comes up, that choose your adventure stuff comes yeah. up too in the podcast and previous episodes. But this being like kind of a play on that form, but not only that, but it's a little bit meta, not like a metafictional. Like this, the line that I read in the first in the A section, uh, it says artificially generated gravity that defies the laws of physics and yet is surprisingly common in fictional space stations. It's like, okay, you're calling attention to an aspect of the fiction. That's what makes it metafiction, right? So those little things that that come up here now and then, it's not just playing with the uh, second person choose your own adventure form, but it's also a metafictional piece to a certain degree. It's just uh, doing a lot of cool stuff. And it's funny. It's funny because, so there's that part, which is like pretty obviously making fun of the genre, right? But then like throughout, like there's all these increasingly ridiculous things that are happening. Like the two nurses that you come across, the one that speaks English and the one that speaks this other language. It's like, do you talk to the one that speaks your language? even though you know she's like bad at her job or do you talk to this other one even though you don't know the language so they talk to the other one and um there's obviously communication if you talk to the human nurse go to f if you talk to the big brown doo-doo from uranus go to g also (laughs) stop snickering the planet is pronounced uranus not uranus yeah (laughs) yeah it's just funny that they're they managed to cover a lot of those sci-fi tropes really quickly right there's always character from another planet whose language you don't speak you know like if in every star wars it's like oh no i don't know how to and then uh yeah i mean like uranus that's funny like they're covering like a lot of weird little quirks which if you like the genre you can laugh at because they're very niche right well there's also it says uh you approach the uranian this is g g you approach the uranian nurse and babble a bunch of words that end in ooh Uh, which is your best approximation of doo-doo language. Honestly, the attempt is kind of offensive. The doo-doos are a civilization older than humankind with a nuanced language steeped in a complex alien culture. Why would you expect a random assortment of words ending in ooh to communicate something meaningful? Yeah. It's playing off the American tourists. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kind of like uh, insensitivity to foreign cultures. You just put that in an alien setting. Yeah. So it's definitely fun for people that write this genre, right? And then the reference at the other that you read like in that way you won't have to deal with your insurance company there's obviously something relatable to real medical care you don't have to be on like a random fucking planet to feel this way when you're trying to get help right this is specifically called out she says in f have you noticed all the loops in this story the loops simulate the ultimate futility of attempting to get medical care uh-huh. what are you still doing here go back to b next uh-huh. time you get to the nurse's station remember to pick the non-human nurse that's part of what makes it metafiction. And it, it's calling out the form and kind of giving, this is like the author coming out, pointing at the story and saying, did you notice? Did you notice what I'm doing here? Yeah. Which is the what's so great about metafiction. There's a part right before that. And it says, if you wait for the new clipboard, go back to see if you are smart enough to recognize that going back to see will result in a loop that does not advance the story. Yeah. Proceed E. And you do know that. You don't even have to like start jumping around to know that that's what she's getting at. It was fun. There's also Q. This is one of my favorite ones. Q, there is nothing in the story that directs you to the section. So if you're reading this, you have failed to follow instructions. Go directly to Z and die your horrible, painful death. Or skip to somewhere else, since you clearly aren't playing by the rules anyway. And then in section T, it says, if you run away, go to W. And then it says, there is no U. Much as there is no hope for patients at the clinic, the nurse would have recognized you anyway. Go to V. So yeah, it, like, if, you, just completely... if you pretend to work yeah. at the clinic, go to U. There is no yeah. U. Yeah. <laughs>
One of the things I keep calling this metafiction or pointing out its metafictional kind of qualities, but um, we talked in previous episodes about, you know, fiction having meaning or if there should be a takeaway leaving you with a feeling. But one thing that this kind of metafictional presentation can do is give you that, say, this is what this story is about. Like the whole thing where she says, um, the loops simulate the ultimate futility of attempting to get medical care. It's like, okay, that is what this story is supposed to be doing. Okay. That's interesting. But you can also do this line here. If you select a few bottles at random and slather them on your rash, go to tea. Have you noticed how often you end up in the same place, no matter what you chose? In the clinic, as in life, decisions that seem important are often ultimately meaningless. In the end, all of us will die and none of this will matter. Now, seriously, go to tea. It's like uh, kind of reaching for something universal out of this craziness, which is kind of when people try to think about what fiction means and right. when a fiction has a meaning, it's usually that reaching for something universal that we're, that we're trying to find in it. Right. You get the specific character in a specific situation doing specific things. What does that mean on a larger sense is usually the question you're, you're trying to answer. Yeah. And so this metafictional story can actually put that in there. Yeah. Like a universal truth. Yeah. It's funny because when I read lines like that, to me, they read almost as this like sarcastic, angry thought. I view the story as like she came up with a like, funny idea and she ran with it for the perfect amount of time. And then like maybe she was dealing with an actual medical thing and this was, you know, cathartic somehow. But uh, lines like that, they're her truth is how I read them. I think they come out of the story. They come out of the situation. Like it's not it's not shoehorned in. It's not like, you know, if it if it was like um, in the middle of this loop of medic medical uh despair suddenly said something like something just didn't fit yeah that's that kind of thing fits because it's working right off of the concept of choosing we notice how often you end up in the same place no matter what you chose it's true of this story that is actually true of the story that's why we can read it straight through without actually following the loops because they don't really matter and that's right. part of the point of the story it doesn't matter and that's part of why she makes that or the story makes that other comment the loops simulate the ultimate futility of attempting to get medical care is the point of the story. It's what it's doing. It's literally, right. it's enacting that feeling of futility and that feeling of your choices not mattering. The fact that it's being pointed out, I think there could be a version of this where we are not told that and we have to think about it a little bit and we can we can say that as a theme sure. because it's every paragraph gives us a choice that doesn't matter. Right. We say one of the themes is our choices don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Right. But she actually comes out and just says it, which works too. I actually like it better that way in a certain way. Yeah, because she's she's not just applying it when she says it right there to the medical sense. She's applying it to life in general. She's like, yeah, it's yes. meaningless for you to try to get medical help, but it's also meaningless for you to, you know, pick a tile color for your new bathroom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because if you pick seafoam green, go to page 32. But if you pick sage... <laughs> go to page <laughs> yeah i guess what i mean when i read when i said like they read like her truth like i i just mean that like i don't know that this 
fun little metafiction concept that came to her for a Goosebumps Choose Your Own Adventure was one that naturally like spawned a universal truth. Or if it was like she was frustrated when she wrote a story like this because maybe she was dealing with something like it and the format was a result of the futility. You know what I mean? I mean, I can it doesn't see matter that either way. When I read it, I was like, I wonder if she was standing in like if she was in her doctor's yeah. office when she came yeah. up with this. But right. I could also see just like having the inspiration yeah. and then as she's writing it, kind of discovering this theme. Yes. And then being like, you know, these choices don't actually wind up mattering. And then just running with it and saying, well, I guess that's part of what the story is doing. And I'm going right. to follow it and see how it works. Yeah. So it could be like original inspiration or it could be discovered. Like the inspiration of the story helps you discover that about the story, which you then layer in. That's what revision is for layering that back in. It's a good question about where inspiration works within a story, because I think there's always that initial inspiration that gets you writing. Yeah. And then as you're writing, there's, there's going to be moments along the way that inspire you to continue writing and continue to, yeah. you know, you discover things about it. And ultimately a good writer, we can't tell where it came from. <laughs> right. Cause, well, yeah, cause they I go mean, back like, and they make it fit all the way through. I'm not trying to sound like one of these literary critics that I like to harp on who like thinks that they know or like that it matters. Oh, no. Yeah. But just if I had to guess, like the attitude is so strong, it's frustration and anger, which I feel like in my situation, if I've ever written a story where a character is like frustrated or angry, it's usually because I was like, those are strong emotions. It makes it easier. I think as a writer, if you like tap into something, yeah. if it's something that's in you, then it's going to come out really yeah. easily. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Any emotion, but anger is there's something about anger that makes me want to write. I want to credit the really good writers as being able to, you know, like if they're at a party and there's just as a party trick, you could be like, okay, give me fear. And they could just like spill out a paragraph that like instills fear, you know, that kind of thing. Like that's what I feel like the best writers should be able to just hide in whatever they're doing. Like it's not them. It's like their craft that brings yeah. it out. Yeah. That makes sense. But again, yeah, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Sounds like you go to fun parties. <laughs> I would go to that party. <laughs> this bleeds into my takeaway, but I just kind of like that there is an attitude throughout this story. So whether or not we know anything about like Carolyn and whether or not she was upset or like actually dealing with a line or a doctor's office, whatever, it doesn't matter because like the attitude was so clear, right? So there are those universal truths which you brought up, which is like futility is frustrating, but also you get the sense that she's like just angry kind of writing it, you know? And I, I feel like it's like a strong fuel. I feel like a lot of sarcasm and wit is tied to anger or frustration you know like when you're being sarcastic it's usually because you have like a bone to pick you know that's like the meanest smart ass way for you to say something i mean there's other reasons that you use sarcasm that are have nothing to do with that but i feel like it really lends itself to anger and uh there are so many lines throughout here where she's like if you notice this is a loop it's because it is you're gonna die like uh next time talk to the alien that's not from your planet you know uh why don't you just skip to z and die like all this kind of stuff but uh it definitely toes a line where it's still funny it's not just a rant you know the form lends itself to like some forward momentum but i really like that the tone is like it's really obviously frustration there's uh this line that you made me think of what you're describing the doo-doo from uranus seriously are you in third grade stop pronouncing the planet as your anus yeah 
So she's making time for that humor, but she's also like impatient, right? (laughs) So that was funny. But yeah, I guess my takeaway is kind of like a lot of times if I've ever been like frustrated about something, I used to do this when I was younger. I don't really do it so much anymore, but I would write these like weird things that were barely fiction and they would usually be about a teacher that really frustrated me, but I would, I would get like compelled and I would just like have to write it. So I would, (laughs) I would like say these terrible things and reading this, I got that sense and it, it is kind of fun. But my takeaway is kind of like the next time you're really frustrated about something, it's sometimes like my most like powerful moments. Like we all think about like sadness and things like that as like times when the poet wants to sit down and bleed on the page and like, sure, that's fun. But like, there's usually not a lot of forward momentum. I feel like with anger, I can like create like a mood or a tone. And I'm, I'm like my funniest, you know, my, my wittiest, like the words are just pouring forth because I'm like enraged. So maybe the broad takeaway is like, if you're feeling emotional, that's a good time to write. But the my narrow takeaway is kind of like if you've ever been really frustrated about something see if you can like write it down because that's usually when i'm like really jazzed i liked writing on a mechanical typewriter and i still go back to it sometimes because it takes so much effort to write it puts some punch into your because you're you're working hard at it oh yeah you You have to slam those keys down to get it to show up and i think that gets into the prose kind of a a tricky way to, to trick your body into like enacting that kind of emotion like the attention out you know like the focus yeah exactly like you said whatever emotion is driving it is going to wind up in there yeah it's going to be on some level the way the words push the reader through it's going to affect the way it comes out right there's a difficulty in that if you come back to try to revise a piece that you wrote under the influence of some emotion and you don't have that emotion anymore yeah it's really easy to start watering it down it's like oh i shouldn't have phrased it like that i should phrase it like this and that's like a more tender way to say it but you're like no 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 it has to keep that punch that's a really good point i do think like you could if not re-enter the same emotional headspace like you can force yourself to get down and mimic the style and go where you were going but there's something about like being angry in the moment like just knowing you needed to capture it and run with it yeah yeah so that's my takeaway. What's your takeaway, John? I was curious what my takeaway was going to be yeah, when same. I decided <laughs> to bring this because my original thought was I could easily say something about form, like, oh, write a choose your own adventure. It's like, yeah, but that's, I don't want to give that advice because it's like, this is that's just work. does it too well. Yeah. And it, the themes of the story work with that form so you know, right. flawlessly that like, how can I suggest somebody do that? Right. But I think just the concept of metafiction and that concept of finding the themes in your story and then and really hitting them. You don't have to have those universal metafictional kind of things that point it out to the reader. Yeah. Being able to find out what the form of your story, if you do try a weird form, like we talked about in previous episodes, or even just like what happens in your story, just trying to figure out what theme would be based on what you keep coming back to. Right. And just really trying to punch it up. It might be a, a way to think about fiction. You know, we can all come up with little story ideas and we can right. write them down. But like one of the keys to getting something more than that is going to be finding out making the theme do everything it can do within that story like really yeah sure really digging into it and that requires you to think about it in a meta way metafictionally and to really just go over it so that you can find all those corners and like dig into them make sure that you you really pull what you can out of the situation you're depicting anyway that's uh what i came to yeah i mean 
it's like good advice for every story, even the stories that you think you already know your themes for and you think you already have gotten them across mm-hmm. or you think that they're pretty apparent. It's like, yeah, this is obvious. Yeah, like maybe it's not. And there's always like a way for you to make it obvious throughout, not just like at one point where it's like if you miss that section, you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about this form that, like you said, plays with the theme. It's like, do this, no, do that. Well, go ahead and try it, but it's not, you know, so you can't really escape knowing that that's the point, even if you miss the couple lines where they said, do you realize your decisions mean nothing? Like there's something about the experience of reading it that feels that way too. Yeah. If you can marry those two, two things together, the universal themes are just the ideas, like the driving concepts of what the story is trying to portray and the actual situations that are happening. If you can marry those as seamlessly as a story does, you, you've really hit on something pretty good. Yeah. We have no advice for how to do that, but you should try. Just give it a shot. You know what you should do is like something with your theme. You should just be a really good writer. It's it's helpful if you're good at using your feet. <laughs> just our thought for the day. Usually stories that do that well are pretty good. <laughs> so if you could be a good writer, yeah. you can write a good story. All right. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash why is this good podcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.